Good evening and welcome Alternative News listeners. This is your community radio station, 91.7 Co-op Radio, right here in the capital city of Austin, Texas. And this is your host, Pedro Gatos, introducing you to the first of a series of Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday news and analysis shows being produced in the world we find ourselves in post-COVID-19. Today, in this moment as I speak, it is April 11th, 2020. And this is a recorded show, which will air as you are listening to it on Monday, April 13th, 2020. We all live in a world of our own, as well as a world that we are such a small part of, namely the world around us. I wanted to take a moment and share a perspective of my self-centered world, if you will. Today, as I speak to you, it's April the 11th, and it has been quite a last week. On April 4th, It marked the anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination, as well as the anniversary of arguably his most meaningful and important speech of his lifetime, Beyond Vietnam, which he delivered on April 4th, 1967. April 5th, last week, was my birthday. April 6th, my mom died after living a remarkably long life of 89 years. Three days ago, on April 8th, I had some minor surgery at a local hospital. I am sharing all of this to just let you know that your birthday is not just your birthday. Someone gave birth to each of us, and as traumatic as it must be to be born and enter physically into this world, the real heavy lifting is done by our mothers, and I have lost mine. They say only a mom could love this radio face, and she did. Thanks for that, and so much more, Mom. So I just wanted to start the show off with that dedication, and also with a song that I think she would really enjoy. It's done by a friend of the show, Carrie Bilak. It's Land of Naivety. Following Land of Naivety in our Bringing Light into Darkness theme song, Slipping into Darkness by War, please stay tuned for an extraordinary interview and dialogue regarding separating fact from fiction around the truth of Medicare for All with our special guest, Melinda St. Louis the Director of Public Citizens' Medicare for All campaign. We review March 13, 2018, Journal of American Medicine Association article, Healthcare Spending in the United States and Other High-Income Countries. To paraphrase and share a main theme that our guests explicated, this corona pandemic that we stare down really does lay bare the pitfalls, the dangerous pitfalls, of for-profit healthcare system that is really unique when compared to our peer countries in that it is a healthcare system that is extraordinarily unequal. Stay tuned. Breaks all his own 
Good evening, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP right here in the capital city of Austin, Texas. And today is Monday, March the 16th, 2020. I am your host, Pedro Gatos. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News Analysis. Today's show, our focus is, well, we're still in uh, International Women's Month. We recently, in fact, it was this weekend, 
had uh, what I would suggest was a sensational event over at the one-to-one club in South Austin. It was a woman fest uh, celebration and wanted to give a big shout out to the Women of Co-op Radio that really executed and organized the event, particularly Penny Joe from the Community Council. She was really the, you know, choreographed just a, a really powerful uh, afternoon of musicians interspersed with some dialogues and educational inputs from a number of nonprofits that to focus on women's issues. Also, we were blessed to have Judge Sarah Eckhart, who is leading the Travis County response during the coronavirus crisis. She had some very informative and supportive words for the event and for what's going on in everyone's home now. And that's what we're going to focus on today, actually. We're going to, we're going to focus on health and health care issues in the context of Women's Month. I wanted to turn to a new segment, but before I did, I wanted to introduce, more formally introduce our guest. And I just want to welcome Miss Melinda St. Louis to Bringing Light into Darkness. Melinda, welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Glad to be able to have a conversation with you all. Very good. Just really quickly, and we'll be repeating this information. Melinda is the director of the Public Citizens Medicare for All campaign. For the past couple of decades, she's led multiple campaigns that challenge corporate power and promote economic justice and human rights, including fighting big drug companies in global trade agreements. She is now focusing her energy on building a movement to deliver a system, a healthcare system that actually guarantees healthcare for everyone in the United States. Melinda actually got her bachelor's degree at, at Penn State and her master's degree in public policy at Georgetown University. So I wanted to just turn to a new segment real quick, Melinda, and then we're going to pick your brain tonight. So thank you so much for being here. So anyhow, I just wanted to mention there is, I think, a real unmasking of the very inefficient and insufficient healthcare system that we have in our country, particularly when you look at the resources that we have as being the most wealthiest nation in the world. And there was actually an article that came out in the Journal of American Medical Association, the JAMA article. It came out in 2018, actually almost exactly two years ago today, March the 13th of 2018. It was called Healthcare Spending in the U.S. and Other High-Income Countries. It does a a kind of a comparative analysis of the uh, healthcare system and uh, its findings, which are not surprising. If you follow this program, we've talked about this in the past, but we spend nearly twice as much on healthcare in terms of gross domestic product, GDP, and the, the focus of this investigation by JAMA was actually during a period of time of 2013 to 2016. So it was really at the tail end of President Obama's administration that these statistics that I'll be sharing with you were apparent. And what the authors did is they compared the United States to 11 of the highest income countries, the UK, Canada, Germany, Australia, Japan, Sweden, France, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and Denmark. And they found that the prices, among other things, of labor and goods, including pharmaceuticals, namely drugs and devices, as well as administrative costs, appeared to be the main drivers of the fact that we spend nearly twice as much on health care in terms of GDP than any of these other 
uh, high-income nations. There is little evidence that efforts to reform the U.S. health care delivery have had meaningful influence on controlling health care spending and costs. And in 2016, we spent 17.8% of our GDP versus a, a range of 9.6% to 12.4% of the other richer nations that we mentioned uh, just, just a moment ago. We actually, in our country, we cover 90% of the population. I'm not sure to what extent that coverage is, but the comparative numbers are 99 to 100% in these other nations. We have the highest proportion of private health insurance at over 55%, just a tick over 55%. Our life expectancy is the lowest compared to these nations. We're at 78.8 years, and the average of the other 11 countries is 81.7 years. Uh, and again, this is despite our, our immense wealth and other resources. Our infant mortality, that, that's, the, that's the number of children that die before the age of one, is 5.8 per 1,000 versus 3.6 per 1,000 average for these other countries. That's an astonishing number to me. I mean, that's almost 39% higher infant mortality rate in our country. And by the way, our life expectancy had actually gone down for the first time and since uh, the 90s with the HIV crisis <clears throat> just, a, just a couple of years ago. And then finally, the administrative costs of care, which they define as those activities related to planning, regulating, and managing health systems and services, was 8% in the United States versus 1% to 3% in these other countries. And so I guess one of the places I wanted to start was just I wanted to highlight one other statistic, but first I wanted to turn to a couple of shocking articles, at least they were shocking to me. President Trump, I mean, one of the, I think one of the real attributes for our country with having President Trump in office is that the unmasking of this for-profit process, uh, this horrific condition that we find ourselves in, is a terrible virus. It's, it's a very, very deadly vi virus, what, some, some 10 times deadlier than the actual main flu deal. And it's posing all sorts of, of health issues. And the, uh, there was an article that just came out today that, let me just read you the title. I'm familiar with the author. He writes for the Center for Economic and Policy Research up in Washington, D.C., uh, Dr. Mark Weisbrot is one of the co-directors up there. But this article is written by Jake Johnson, and he, and he highlights the title of it's called Depraved. Trump reportedly offered German firm large sum for exclusive rights to coronavirus vaccine. I just wanted to, to, to read a couple of paragraphs from it, and then just to give you the gist of it, Trump wanted not only to control any new vaccine, but also to make sure that it would be only available on a for-profit basis. German lawmakers and government officials voiced outrage at reporting Sunday, that would be yesterday, that the a Trump administration is seeking to secure exclusive rights to a potential coronavirus vaccine being developed by the German firm CureVac as the pandemic spreads and takes lives across the globe. The German newspaper 
Welt am Sonntag, citing an anonymous German government official, reported Sunday that the Trump administration offered CureVac $1 billion to hand the U.S. exclusive rights to a potential COVID-19 vaccine. Trump wants the vaccine, quote, only for the United States, the German official said. The New York Times confirmed late Sunday that the Trump administration attempted to persuade CureVac to move its research to the United States, offering the company what one German official described as a large sum of money. So therein lies the big rub that when profit is the main motivation, then you can be guaranteed that not all is being done to relieve the people that are in potential harm's way here. And then just lastly, according to researchers at the University of Massachusetts Political Economy Research Institute, they put out a a lengthy paper, and it's to the issue of this Medicare for all. There's been as we all know, ongoing dialogue and descriptions during all of these different debates about how much the cost would be and where the money was coming from and all that. And that's really what I wanted to focus our show on tonight, Melinda, was what are the real cost versus benefit analysis of the Medicare for All program. And in this research by this research institute that I mentioned from Massachusetts, they were indicating $5 trillion could be saved over a decade, and they were addressing these elevated administrative costs and negotiating lower prescription drug costs, etc. So uh, anyhow, with that being said, can you introduce us to an honest and fuller picture of the moving parts regarding the debate over what type of health care system would best serve the majority population of the United States? Well, I'm really, again, I'm really excited to be here with you, and especially during this very timely moment, um, as, as, you, as you laid out, the coronavirus pandemic that we are staring down really does lay bare the, the, the pitfalls, the dangerous pitfalls of our current for-profit healthcare system that is really unique in the in among our peer countries in that we have have a have a system that is extraordinarily unequal that means that it, uh, the numbers that you put out were absolutely right in terms of our health outcomes being dead last but then what you also see is massive inequality uh, in terms of life ex- expectancy in some cities depending on your zip code your life expectancy might have a 30 year difference and one zip code in New York you will find people or Massachusetts you'll find people living in their 80s and then another zip code not very far away um, to have life expectancy in the 50s and that is because we have um, a, we have a system where based on your employment you may or may not have access to health insurance that whether even if you're one of the 150 million people in the United States who have who are lucky enough to have insurance a private insurance through your employer, those premiums and deductibles and co-pays are going up every single year. And there are 45 million people who have insurance who cannot access needed care because they can't afford their deductibles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are, they're not getting health care either. And then we have 30 million people still, even after the Affordable Care Act, that was an important step forward in covering people. But we still have 30 million people in the United States who have no health insurance at all. 
And so the thing about this debate is that the only reason this exists is because of the outsized influence of the large corporations, the health insurance industry, the big pharmaceutical companies and for-profit mega hospital chains that are profiting off of the status quo because there's no way you would design a system like what we have Um, because we pay more, as you said, double, and we get far less. Mm -hmm. And it's not rocket science how you do that. How you, how you can actually fix the system. And that's why people are hearing more and more about a Medicare for all system. And there's a lot of misinformation that's being put out about that by the industry because they want to scare people. But the reality is, well, Medicare for all, it would expand Medicare, which is a very popular program uh, that was started in the 60s that cover, that provides a universal health coverage for people over 65 in the United States. It needs to be improved because it's complicated and because because it requires seniors to often to purchase supplemental insurance. But so what we need to do is is to simplify Medicare and that's already a very efficient program. When you compare Medicare to private insurance, Medicare which covers People over 65, so these are the people in the United States who consume the most health care, you know, who are using the hospitals the most, right, because these are the elders in our society. The overhead for Medicare is 2%. For private insurance, it's upwards of 14 sometimes up to 25%. The dollars that are being spent going to overhead. So Medicare is very efficient, and it works very well. And, and can but you, it, it excuse needs, me, it needs can, to be improved, and it needs to cover more. Can you delineate a little bit more? Because the overhead is, it is a huge, huge, these administrative costs. So these are really where so much of the insurance companies, I guess, you know, when people look at the CEOs and, you know, those types of folks that benefit the most in in an insurance hierarchy or whatever and stuff. But there's, there's all sorts of inefficiencies. But can you I kind of just drill down a little bit into those administrative costs for us a little bit. Like, why is it 2% versus yeah. the, the 14%? Right. Well, so, so, and I'm really only just talking about one piece when I get there. Actually, mm-hmm. it's a full one-third of our health care dollars is not going to care currently because of all of the different levels in which we are wasting money and and putting money towards profit instead of towards people's health. And let me explain where that where that comes from. So with private insurance, the you know, it's a business model. It's about delivering stakeholder it's profit to shareholders. That's it's a business. And so there's enormous incentive for private insurers to to bring in more in premiums than they pay out in services for, you know, um, to reimburse for services. So there's enormous incentives for them to deny care. And pretty much everyone in the United States has a story themselves or somebody that they know where when they went to try to use their insurance when they were sick, they found that, that at least initially important pieces of their care that their doctor wanted them to get was denied by their insurer. And that is, um, and that's not like a bug. That's a feature of the system is to deny care when people need it um, in order to um, deliver more profit. So what we're doing is we're sucking huge amounts of money out to go to profit. And as you mentioned, to CEO pay, in fact, the, of the, Big pharmaceutical companies and and insurance and health insurance companies, those CEOs make more 
far more than the average of Fortune 500 companies. So, mm-hmm. so even among the highest paid CEOs in the country, these people earn even more. And so, so it's enormous amount of money going to CEOs. It's enormous amount of money going into profit. But then if you think about it, it's also just the waste of a fragmented system. It's so, so I mentioned the 14%. That's just the, the health insurance companies employing people to basically deny care. So it's a lot of that's when, in, when doctors are having to fight with insurance companies, a lot of that money is, is going there. And then the doctor's offices and the hospitals have to, instead of putting medical professionals doing care, providing care, a large percentage of their time is actually spent trying to manage all the paperwork of dealing with upwards of 900 different private insurers and Medicare and Medicaid and the public insurance. So we have this like this spaghetti of just all this crazy, you know, bureaucracy that they have to manage each different one. And so so nurses in the United States spend upwards of 20 hours a week on paperwork. In Canada that has a single payer system, they spend 2 hours a week on paperwork. So imagine all those nurses that are, that are spending half of their time fighting with insurance companies to try to get care for patients actually being able to to provide care to patients. So so when you think about all of those different actors, mm-hmm. I mean we're talking and and this is hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the it recently a most recent article that came out in in the same medical journal that you mentioned into JAMA it estimated that last year it was $600 billion mm-hmm. went into um, administrative waste and, and profit in our current system. Well, listen, I, I just wanted to also mention one other thing that I think is consistent with your analysis of what you're saying. The existing system we have today, th- this was from 2016 as well, just to get a snapshot of right at the peak of an eight-year Democratic administration, right, just because it's generally more progressive. But in February of 2016, researchers at the Brookings Institution analyzed life expectancies for men who are among the top 10% of earners and those that were among the bottom 10%. And for the men born in 1950, the bottom 10%, life expectancy was 14 years shorter than for those among the rich. So, you know, there are second-class citizens in this country, which is a complete contradiction to our, our Constitution and such. Well, listen, we are visiting with the esteemed Medicare director with Public Citizens, Melinda St. Louis. We need to take a quick break. Melinda, can you just hang on for one quick moment or two while we take care of some business, and we'll be right back. This is 91.7 KOLP right here in Austin, Texas, and we'll be back after this. Beyond 